0: This is the Daily Signal podcast for Wednesday, June 23rd. I'm Doug Blair.
1: And I'm Rachel Judas. Is wokeism killing American culture? Vivek Ramaswamy, an entrepreneur and author of Woke Inc., joins me on the Daily Signal podcast to talk about how wokeism is impacting American culture and what you can do about it.
0: And don't forget, if you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure to leave a review or a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and encourage others to subscribe. Now, today's interview was recorded at the Heritage Foundation Resource Bank Conference, so please excuse any background noise. And now, on to today's top news.
1: The White House said Tuesday it will not meet President Joe Biden's coronavirus vaccine goal, failing to meet the goal of vaccinating 70% of American adults by Independence Day on July 4th. White House Coronavirus Response Coordinator Jeff Zinitz said it will take a couple weeks past July 4th to vaccinate 70% of adults who are 18 and up. This is amazing progress and has our country returning to normal much sooner than predicted, Zinitz said. The virus is in retreat in communities across the country. We are entering a summer of joy, a summer of freedom. This is cause for celebration, and that's exactly what Americans will be able to do on July 4th. Celebrate independence from the virus.
0: In a Monday op-ed for The Washington Post, Senator Kristen Cinema, a Democrat from Arizona, reaffirmed her stance on maintaining the Senate filibuster. Cinema, as well as her colleague Senator Joe Manchin from West Virginia, has gone on record multiple times in the past defending the filibuster, even as much as her party begins to speak out against it. Quote, My support for retaining the 60-vote threshold is not based on the importance of any particular policy. It is based on what is best for our democracy, writes Sinema. The filibuster compels moderation and helps protect the country from wild swings between opposing policy polls. Cinema also noted that the filibuster had majority support amongst Democratic senators as recently as 2017, writing, quote, I share the belief expressed in 2017 by 31 Senate Democrats opposing elimination of the filibuster, a belief shared by President Biden. While I am confident that several senators in my party still share that belief, the Senate has not held a debate on the matter. The filibuster has come under renewed fire in recent months as progressive Democrats believe the procedure stymies their legislative agenda. And though Sinema reinforced her belief in the importance of the filibuster, she also expressed her willingness to reform it, writing that quote, it is time for the Senate to debate the legislative filibuster so senators and our constituents can hear and fully consider the concerns and consequences.
1: Black Lives Matter is criticizing Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, Democrat of Rhode Island, for his membership in a reportedly all-white beach club. I am ashamed of Senator Whitehouse and his affiliation with this racist club. Gary Dantzler, executive director of Black Lives Matter Rhode Island, said via the Washington Examiner. Him coming out and speaking about ending systemic racism while belonging to a whites-only private club is hypocrisy at its worst. On Friday, White House told Go Local that the club was attempting to get a diversity of members, saying, I think the people who are running the place are still working on that, and I'm sorry it hasn't happened yet. Richard Davidson, a spokesman for White House, told NBC News on Monday that the club has had and has members of color, adding that White House has dedicated his entire career to promoting equity and protecting civil rights, as his record shows.
0: Eight climate change protesters associated with the Sunrise Movement were arrested for trespassing outside of Senator Ted Cruz's Houston home on Monday when they refused to leave his private property. The eight arrested were members of a larger group of protesters who gathered outside the senator's house to protest climate change, as well as ongoing negotiations between Biden and the GOP over environmental policy. According to Assistant Houston Police Chief Ban Tien, the larger group of protesters remained on the sidewalk while the smaller group of protesters trespassed on Cruz's property. Here's Tian describing what happened via a video posted to Facebook from the Houston Police Department.
2: At approximately uh, 11 a.m., this morning, we have a group, roughly uh, 60 to 70 uh, people, protesting in front of uh, Senator Cruz's residence. Uh, the large majority of the group are extremely peaceful, uh, out there expressing their First Amendment rights, protests against climate change. Unfortunately, there was a small group who were actually committing trespassing, trespassing into uh, private property in front of the senator's residence. We were giving multiple warnings to the group as a whole and also individually to those that were violating uh, the trespassing law. Uh, we've given them ample amount of opportunities uh, to leave the location, but uh, they refused. But we, uh, we took it slow. We work uh, collectively and patiently with the organizer and the individual himself and continue to provide multiple, multiple uh, warnings. As such, uh, that particular group, roughly eight individuals uh, still refuse to leave. And uh, we finally gave one final warning and those individuals still refuse to leave. And we explained to them the, the fact that they were uh, violating the trespassing law. They acknowledged, they understood, and they chose to be arrested. Uh, at that time, we uh, exhausted all our options, which led to arrest of eight individuals.
0: Cruz's home was the last stop of a 40-day climate march by the Sunrise Movement that began in New Orleans.
1: A school board in New Jersey will not be removing holiday names from their calendar, such as Memorial Day and Thanksgiving, after parents expressed their displeasure at the move. On Monday, the Randolph Board of Education voted 8-1 to 1 to put the holiday names back on the calendar after many in the era voiced their opposition at the move during a public comment period. James Jacoby, a Randolph Township father of three, told Fox & Friends Tuesday that it's not about being the loudest to get your way. It's really about learning that this needs to be a transparent and accountable and collaborative process with the town that you live in, Jacoby said. And that's one of the biggest messages we are giving the board last night, consistently across 40 different speakers. And that's what they really need to come and think about. Now stay tuned for my conversation with Vivek Ramaswamy on Wokeism in America.
0: The Heritage Foundation has a new website to combat critical race theory. CRT, as it's known, makes race the centerpiece of all aspects of American life. It categorizes individuals into groups of oppressors and victims. The idea is infiltrating everything from our politics and education to the workplace and even our military. Heritage has pulled together the resources that you need to identify CRT in your community and the ways to fight it. We also have a legislation tracker so you can see what's happening in your state. Visit heritage.org slash CRT to learn more.
1: I'm joined today on the Daily Signal podcast by Vivek Ramaswamy, author of Woke Incorporated. Vivek, thank you for joining us today. Glad to be here. So can you just start off by telling us about your book, Woke Incorporated?
3: Sure, so what I talk about in the book is the new arranged marriage between the progressive movement and big business, which is Mm. turning on its head what we used to think of as the values of the progressive movement from 20 years ago and I tell the origin story that actually dates back to the 2008 financial crisis, where actually in the wake of 08, big business was the bad guy. Capitalism was under attack. And the marriage to wokeness actually became a defense mechanism against the old progressive left and Occupy Wall Street to give birth to this new hybrid, what I call the woke industrial complex, that is today far more powerful than either big business Mm -hmm. Or big government alone and liberals who used to be skeptics of corporate power were tricked into submission because of their love of woke causes that these companies are pushing but conservatives were equally duped into submission because their inner conscience tells them that the free market can do no wrong without recognizing that the free market that they idealize doesn't exist today and that's effectively what cleared the path for the rise of what I consider to be America's newest 21st century Leviathan something far more powerful than we've seen over the course of American history and something that neither side of the political spectrum is going to be able to deal with on its own.
1: Well, Vic, you have said that world corporations are a threat to this country. What kind of risk do we run if we don't push back?
3: Yeah, so Milton Friedman... 50 years ago might have worried that the risk was creating less efficient companies, that if companies are also focused on pushing social values, they're going to make poorer products and poorer products result in a less productive economy. And I have to admit, I share those concerns to some extent, but my concern is actually the opposite. It is not the way in which politics infects capitalism, but rather the way in which capitalism risks infecting our democracy and i think that that's actually the biggest threat of all is the integrity of american democracy itself at stake where our democratic norms our marketplace of ideas in a democracy is supposed to work according to a one person one vote one person one voice system Yet in a new marketplace of ideas, we're actually converting to a one-dollar, vote system where the people who wield the greatest corporate and market power, wield power, not just over the marketplace of products, which by the way, as a capitalist, I'm okay with, but also power over the marketplace of ideas, which as an American citizen, I'm not okay with. So that's actually the real danger.
1: Well, Vic, what can conservatives do to successfully push back against these vote corporations? Would you say, do boycotts ever work, or are there other strategies that you think conservatives should use? Yes,
3: yeah, so I'm not a huge fan of boycotts, and I can, I can talk about why. I do think that there are a number of strategies we need to consider. Some are legal strategies, right? I, th- I think that right now the issue is so pressing that we need to litigate some of these old corp- forms of corporate overreach that are downright illegal in court. One of the biggest areas that I'm focused on is big tech censorship, where effectively a small ideological cartel in Silicon Valley wields not just power over the marketplace of products, but power over the marketplace of ideas to determine what ideas do and don't get aired. And the reason they're doing it is, of course, it's a part of an unspoken backroom deal, where again, in the wake of 08 over the last decade, big tech effectively says we're going to censor content that the woke movement disagrees with, But in return, they don't do it for free. They expect that the government overlords are actually gonna leave their monopoly power intact. Now what we're seeing in return is, especially as Democrats come to power in the United States, every few months they call these big tech CEOs to testify in front of them. And then when they show up to testify, what do they do? They said, we're going to regulate you, we're gonna break you up, we're going to come after you and make it swift unless you take down hate speech and misinformation, by the way, as we the party in power define it. So when these guys go to the other coast and do the same thing my own view do exactly what the party in power told them to do by taking down so-called misinformation and hate speech which is really just political speech that the party in power disagrees with my view is that those companies ought that behavior ought to be governed by the first amendment in the same way that the government is bound by the first amendment because the government cannot delegate to a private party to censor what it cannot censor directly that's hardcore case law going back through Supreme Court jurisprudence, that you can't use private parties as pawns to do what you can't do directly under the Constitution. Yet, that is exactly what we're seeing, state action in the guise of private enterprise. So those are the kinds of legal solutions that I think we need to see in court. I personally think that, I don't know if he's gonna do it, but I think President Trump should be taking these companies to the Supreme Court, not the Facebook Sham corporate Supreme Court, but like the real US Supreme Court, and actually, that legal theories that I think are well supported by the case law, not just in the case of big tech censorship, but now to now to sort of go to a different category, woke employee firings, something that we're seeing every day across the country. In my own views, this puts everyday American citizens in a particularly difficult position where they have to choose between either expressing themselves freely or putting food on the dinner table, but they cannot reliably do both. And and to me, If America is anything, it is a place where you get to have both the American dream and the First Amendment without having to make a choice between the two. So what I'd like to see is some Republican with a spine actually propose amending the Civil Rights Act and adding political belief as a protected class right there next to race Mm -hmm. and gender and sex and sexual orientation, all encompassed in sex and religion and national origin. I think if you can't discriminate against somebody because they're black or gay or Muslim or whatever, you should not be able to discriminate against them just because they're an outspoken conservative either. Mm -hmm. And this is not an academic issue. If it can happen to the 45th president of the United States, it can happen to anybody. And so those are the kinds of bold legal solutions that I think we need. I can tell you more about it that even in absence of Republicans stepping up, I think there are some legal theories that could potentially bring that case in court now, even under existing law. But I do think that the law both through our court system as well as through potentially simple statutory changes can help curb this tide a little bit. That being said, all of that is just symptomatic. What I really think we need in this country is a deeper cultural cure where we fill the moral void in an entire generation, maybe people my age and your age and younger, who ultimately lack the kind of The kind of spiritual void that would have been filled by notions like patriotism and religion in a prior era, as those have receded in public importance, that creates a moral vacuum in the minds of an entire generation that allows... Ideas like wokeism and its close cousin of scientism to be able to fill the void, and I think that's what we're seeing in the country right now. That the real right answer actually isn't even to fight wokeism directly; it is to fill the void that wokeism fills with much more meaningful forms of um, of identity. And if you're asking me, mm-hmm. I prefer shared American identity.
1: Well, you mentioned what can be done in the you know despite the lack of Republican leadership and majorities yep. in House and Senate. You mentioned you know some legal recourses. What kind of things do you see right now that could be taken up in the, you know, in the absence of Republican majorities?
3: Well, look, I think that if somebody is at risk of either getting fired on their job for saying the wrong thing or failing to attend the right DEI, or so-called diversity equity inclusion sessions, which, which you're seeing today, people may be fired for that. People may not get their year-end bonus for that. I'm not making this stuff up. This is really happening to real mm-hmm. people every day. I hear about it. I think they can bring legal recourse even under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act today, which says that employers cannot discriminate on the basis of religion. Now, I'm not saying that that just means that it's the employee's religion who's protected, and to say that I don't want to attend a DEI session, that doesn't necessarily mean that's my religion as an employee, but I'm making the opposite argument, because actually a flip side of Title VII of of the Civil Rights Act says that not only can you not discriminate against employees on the basis of their religion, but you as an employer cannot force your own religion down the throats of your employees. And so if wokeism is a religion, then an employer can no longer force that religion down the throat of their employees any more than they can force down Christianity or Islam or any other religion. So then that raises the question of, well, is wokeism a religion or not? And I think on the facts, the answer is abundantly clear both in a colloquial sense of the word. There are certain words you can't say, certain clothes you can't wear, certain apologies you must recite, and an excommunication that follows whether or not you recite it. I mean, there is there's in every colloquial sense of the word, I absolutely think wokeism is a religion. But it definitely meets the legal definition for the test of religion. The Supreme Court has held that even secular humanism counts as a religion, that a religion called creativity, which professes white supremacy as its main axis, still counted as a religion, crazy as that religion may be. If white supremacy counts as a religion under Supreme Court doctrine, then certainly anti-white supremacy, which is what wokeism claims to be, ought to count too. And so I think that there's actually legal recourse available under existing case law today that somebody who feels in a you know, threatened in their workplace, threatened of being fired in a hostile workplace environment can bring a Title VII case today, even in absence of, of Republicans stepping up. And I don't think it's just about winning the majority. I think it's about Republicans actually being willing to be standard bearers in leading the way to the real threats to liberty and prosperity of everyday americans today which is not just the liberty of businesses but the liberty of everyday americans not to be governed by this new government industrial complex that includes big government and big business too so it's not just the majorities i actually think that the bigger problem might even be within the republican party of identifying leaders who are actually willing to become the standard bearers of conservative principles to meet this uniquely 21st century challenge rather than reciting some dogma that they memorized from 1980.
1: Well, Vic, going back to your book for just a minute here, uh, the subtitle includes the term social justice scam. Can you talk a little bit more about that?
3: Well, I think the social justice craze in the United States, especially in corporate America, is absolutely a scam. It is a greater way for companies to pretend like they care about something other than the pursuit of profit and power to aggregate more Mm -hmm. of each. And that is, it works like a magic trick, but it is working masterfully for for really everyone who's a party to that trade. If you're Coca-Cola... It's a heck of a lot easier to talk about a technical voting law in Georgia or to train your employees on, quote unquote, how to be less white, things that they've done in Mm -hmm. the last six months, than it is to reckon with the impact of your products on the nationwide epidemic of obesity and diabetes, including in the black community that they profess to care so much about. If you're Nike, it's easier to write a multimillion dollar check to Black Lives Matter, a Marxist organization that professes to care about black lives, all the while sourcing your labor from slave labor in Asia to sell $250 sneakers to black kids in the inner city who can't afford to buy books for school. That is how this game is played. And, it is, and it's a lot, e- lot easier to criticize slavery 250 years ago than it is to give up on slavery that you rely on today. That's effectively what these corporations are doing to whitewash the kind of behavior that would have attracted scrutiny by using this progressive smoke screen, what I call woke smoke, to cover mm. it up. And I do think that's a scam. And I think that not only are they scamming us out of our money, But I think they're scamming us. It's it's a worse scam than that. It is a scam on your voice and your identity, Mm -hmm. which I think are even more valuable to each of us than the number of green pieces of paper in our bank account, though we're losing those two.
1: Well, you said it's time to replace diversity, equity, and inclusion with excellence, opportunity, and civility. How can we do that?
3: Yeah. Well, look, I think that fighting wokeism directly is hard because you're left being the bad guy fighting these great sounding ideas like diversity or equity or inclusion. Those sound pretty friendly, except... Today, in the definition of the modern woke left, diversity means anything but diversity of thought. It means homogeneity of thought. Equity means anything other than equality of opportunity. It means equality of results, even if that means negating equality of opportunity. In the name of inclusion, we've created this new exclusionary political culture where certain points of view are just not welcome. And they have co-opted language in a way that makes it actually very difficult to fight directly without being alleged to be guilty of the same sin that they're accusing you of, in the first place. And so that's why I think the right strategy is actually not to fight wokeness directly and stamp it out, but in the longer run, in the short run, we may need to do some of that in court and elsewhere. But in the longer run, the real answer is to dilute it to irrelevance Mm -hmm. with shared values that run so deep that this wokest nonsense seems silly by comparison. And so that's where I've been thinking, given some thought to what could fill that notion. And I'm not wedded to this, but one that I'm a fan of is, is the idea of excellence, opportunity, and civility rather than diversity, equity, and inclusion. Diversity is great as a means to the end of achieving excellence, not in and of itself. I prefer opportunity to equity because I know what it means. It means equality of opportunity to where we all begin irrespective of where we all end up. Inclusion is a hollow term that means the opposite of what it sounds like. Instead, I think we ought to focus on civility, not to dilute the messages that we deliver to one another or to dilute or pretend like disagreements don't exist, but to be able to engage in those disagreements with the sort of civility in our discourse that we actually lose under the banner of inclusion, which is just another manner of silencing people in the way that that word is used today.
1: You also talked about, you touched on this briefly in our discussion, but how if businesses cannot discriminate on the basis of race, sex, or religious beliefs, how those businesses should not also be able to discriminate on the basis of political beliefs either. We talked about this a little bit, but can you touch on more why there's a double standard here? If there's a double standard, because I think, as you mentioned, we're seeing this happen everywhere.
3: I do think there's a double standard. So the best argument I hear from the other side is that, well, political beliefs are not inborn, or native, or inherited, and that our protected classes should only apply to those characteristics that are inherited, like race, or sex, or something like this. I have two responses to that. First of all, religion is a protected class, and it's not something that you're born with. It is a choice. Faith, by definition, is something that you espouse rather than something that you inherit. On its own terms, that's what faith is. So it's it's actually an untrue premise that that's the way we've conceived of protected classes in the past. And second, I also think that there's no obvious reason why the notion of protected classes should be limited to the characteristics you inherit anyway. They are protecting the kinds of categories of your identity that we think you should not be asked to trade off in order to be able to pursue your dream. And I think that the ability to express yourself politically is one of those things that you should not be asked to trade off in order to pursue your dreams. Now, could a principled libertarian make a compelling argument that actually the market should fix these problems on its own, I think the answer could be yes. The answer is that, well look, if conservatives are being fired from company A, then couldn't company B hire them and view that as actually a business opportunity? And in principle, that's true. Mm. Here's my main issue with it though, is we can't apply that argument unevenly. Because if you believe that, then you also ought to believe that the market ought to be able to police racial discrimination and sex discrimination and sexual orientation discrimination and religious discrimination, yet nobody from Susan Collins to Rand Paul is interested in taking that up on the Republican Party, and certainly nobody in the Democratic Party or even the Libertarian Party is interested in taking up the idea of revisiting the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and its notion of protected classes. And so long as we're not willing to have a principled debate about whether we should have protected classes at all, which I personally am intellectually open to, so long as the political discourse isn't open to it, then I think we at least have to apply that standard equally by adding political belief right up there next to race, sex, national origin, and and religion.
1: Well, something else you've talked about, Vivek, is how you think it's time to stop saying people of color. Why? Tell us about that. Well, that
3: that expression has always irritated me, and I reflected on on why. Uh, You know, I am a person who has higher melanin content than you do. I can tell by sitting here. (laughs) But I don't think that that is a defining feature of either of us. And, And the idea of taking a group of people who are non white, but are otherwise a diverse, polyglot, divided, group of people on the basis of language and culture and religion and national origin and self-conceived identity, probably hundreds of different sub-identities, and to say that we are going to lump all of those into one category, which we call of color, sounds like a cult that they belong to called color, and by the way, pits them against the only other cult that's left, which is the white cult, which ultimately allows two groups to be pitted against each other and go to effectively civil war, which is where I think we're ultimately heading. So, so that expression irritates me. I think it, but I think I think it's more than just a nitpicking at the phraseology. I think it says something about the moment that we live in and the kinds of identities that we latch onto and the kinds of identities, deeper identities within us that we abandon in pursuit of these skin deep identities instead.
1: Well, Vic, to tie all this up, how would you say wokeism can be combated in classrooms as well as corporate America?
3: Yeah, so I think that in the classroom is probably the most important place to start. I actually started with my focus in corporate America, certainly a big part of what my book is about, but as I wrote my book, I ended up devoting more airtime as well to combating wokeism in education. And if I had to choose, I think actually the battle in our schools is even the more important one. Mm -hmm. In fact, if I had to choose between, from a conservative standpoint, taking back the White House or taking every school board seat in this country, I would, in a heartbeat, take every school board seat in this country Could care less about who takes the White House by comparison. Mm -hmm. That is what's really more important because we're talking about the next generation here. so I do think school boards are really important. I think that conservative or even just independent-minded apolitical parents who want their kids to get a balanced civic education ought to speak up and raise the social cost for these teachers who ultimately may want to get home. If if they're working a difficult job, they'd rather spend the extra time getting home rather than dealing with some sort of woke protest. Just like a CEO, it's the same thing too. Make life easier by caving to the side that's actually most likely to give you a hard time. Mm -hmm. Well, we shouldn't be able to give them a pass more easily on the other side as well to force them to actually make a normative decision rather than a decision that's based on the human principle of laziness to do what is really the easiest thing to do and follow the path of least resistance. So I think that's the easiest thing to do is to increase the social cost of compliance with the far woke left, because that has actually been a tool that they've used to their advantage to be a thorn and a pain and some and, and, a, and a thorn in somebody's side that prevents them from getting home to see their kids in time. Well, they're not going to get to see their kids in time any sooner than if they do or don't cave to the woke left. If there's also an equal opposition on the other side, so I think that's where it begins. I think that more people need to find the courage to be able to speak up when they believe that they're the only person in the room. I mean, to anyone who's listening to this, to you, I would say if you're the only person in the room who believes what you do i think we live in a moment where you have a civic obligation Mm -hmm. to stand up and say what you believe in and my commitment to you is that if and when you do you will discover that you were not the only person in the room to hold that opinion. Courage is infectious, but somebody has to start spreading it first. And that doesn't start in the political sphere. It doesn't start in on Capitol Hill. It starts in the everyday conversations that we have in our schools, in our places of work, in our diversity training seminars, in our universities, in our communities. That's really where it begins.
1: Well, Vivek, thank you so much for joining us on the Daily Signal podcast. It's been great having you with us.
3: Great, thanks for having me.
1: And that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to The Daily Signal Podcast.
0: You can find The Daily Signal Podcast on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Please be sure to leave us a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and encourage others to subscribe.
1: Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back with you all tomorrow.
0: The Daily Signal Podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation.